Hi there, welcome to Stories of Hope. My name is Michael Crossan, and I'm an itinerant preacher, but also a minister in training with the Elam Pentecostal Churches on station. I am delighted to have Elizabeth McWaters on the podcast today, sharing her testimony, and it's an incredible story, and it's a story I know that will bless you. So, Elizabeth, welcome. Um, just in your own time, tell us who you are, where you're from, and a bit about your background and how you came to know Christ. Well, I'm Elizabeth McWaters. I'm a member of the Methodist Church in Ireland, and I also work with the Moravian Church a bit. Mm -hmm. um, I have no great Damascus, Damascus story. I've always been aware of God in my life. Um, I was born in Dublin. My father was in the British Air Force, and my mother was a stay-at-home mum, and we lived with my grandmother. My grandmother was a great influence on my life, as was all of my aunts. Um, maybe I was at Sunday school, at Sunday school from I was no age, and I was involved in various church things as a child, CE and things like that. My first real encounter with God I was probably about six years old I was playing in the back garden it was um, a walled garden very very isolated and quite a bit away from the house and I felt a sort of breeze and I heard a voice whisper in my ear you're mine and I love you and I thought, I thought in my innocence that it was a fairy. <laughs> so I rushed in and said to my mum, mum, there's a fairy in the garden. Come and see him. I can't find him. So she said, what? And I told her what had happened. And she said, that's God. That is not a fairy. And God loves you more than anyone else ever will. So that was something for a child of that age. You know, God was somebody you prayed to. God was somebody you worshipped, but you don't expect him to encounter him in your garden. Yeah, that's a wonderful surprise. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. People think we need the big celestial stained glass windows sometimes it's in mm -hmm. a still small voice with a child playing in the garden saying you are mine and i love you remember what jesus said or when god said to jesus on his baptism you are my beloved son and it's it's, it's wonderful how god speaks and he still speaks to this day so when mm -hmm. you had that encounter with christ in six years at age six and you grew up in church Tell us a bit about that journey, because you've told me that your life story is in the British Museum, or is it the British Library, sorry. On British Library. British Not Library. the museum yet. Not the museum <laughs> yet. I apologise. Next time she's going to slap around the face. <laughs> no, in the British Library on 33 double-sided tapes. Now, for those who are under the eight, or who are not born of the 90s generation, tapes were what we used to record things on. Okay, because I've got a lot of young listeners who probably wouldn't know what tapes are. So 33 uh, tracks of an album, but 33 
uh, tapes. So it lets me to wonder what else you want to hear on your journey of faith. So tell us more about your life growing up. Well, my life growing up, my father was in, as I said, the Air Force, and he wasn't allowed. We lived in Dublin. He wasn't allowed into the south of Ireland. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see very much of him growing up. If he was on leave, we would have gone to Liverpool, for he was stationed in Liverpool. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was, my father wasn't really in my life. It was my mother and my grandmother mostly. And um, he was serving in Singapore and um, Burma. So more about that later. So um, it was it was a lovely life. And then when my father, um, I went to the local Methodist school, and with my cousins, we all went together and a very cozy life. Well, then when my father's time was up in the Air Force. He couldn't live in Dublin. So we had to, that's how we came to Belfast, for he was from Belfast. So um, it was a very different life. You know, I had no fam father's family were in Belfast, but they didn't really take much to do with us, for my mother was a foreigner to them. So, um, you know, it's made me very conscious that you accept people for who they are not for where they come from or anything. You know, we're all God's children. And, you know, wherever you come from doesn't matter. It's who you are. So um, I did a typing and shorthand course, commercial subjects. I got a permit to work in Belfast and it wasn't for me sitting in an office. Definitely not. So I got a temporary job in a bookshop looking after the book department. It started off as a Saturday job and it went on for eight years. <laughs> and then I was headhunted by the university bookshop. So that was my start in the university bookshop. And I worked there for the rest of my, more or less, the rest of my working life. Um, I had, when I was there about maybe three years, the boss took cancer and we didn't know what was going to happen. So I applied for a job in Norway and got the job and loved it. I was working for the Norwegian Tourist Board up in the highest peak in the mountains. The road only opened for so many weeks in the year. And I was taking the statistics for the people coming through, you know, what nationality they were and that. And I was in a very, staying in a very salubrious hotel. Um, I got involved with the life there. I did a course in mountain, mountain rescue. And uh, it was it was a wonderful life, very peaceful. And it, I think it was probably where I always loved flowers and nature. I think it was probably the first time that I really realized that God's creation was so wonderful. You know, when I arrived, 
there was maybe 20 feet of snow either side of the road. And things were just beginning to open out. You know, I was there, I saw the first green leaves coming through the snow. Um, the first wild strawberries. I don't know whether you've ever tasted wild strawberries, Delicious. but they are amazing. They're so sweet, so beautiful. So I was there until the road closed again. And um, the university was starting up. They wanted me back for the beginning of term. So I agreed to go back. And we made an agreement that I would work in Norway during the summer and during the skiing season. And um, I would come back to the university for the beginning of term. Wonderful arrangement, the best of both worlds. But, oh, my cuckoo clock's going to go. Don't worry. Um, the best, it was the best of both worlds. Um, I was able to live on the tips that I got in Norway. And I'll tell you a lovely story about Norway before I go back to the bookshop. There was this elderly lady came and she stayed in the hotel. And I mean, it was cost an arm and a leg to stay in it. And she, um, I felt sorry for her. And every afternoon I bought her a cup of coffee and gave her a piece of gado cake, things I couldn't have afforded myself. And on the last day, she asked me, would I take payment with a personal check? So I said, no, I'm sorry. I can take any currency or anything, but I cannot take a foreign check. She was an American. It turned out that she was Rockefeller's ex-wife. What? It's the bank of Rockefeller. <laughs> wow, wow. Hasn't God got a sense of humor? <laughs> Putting me in that situation. Um, but I mean, she looked like a Dynamite film star. It's just um, the, the, the boobs they hold each other. Oh, wow. This is like Lee Rockefeller. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, I come back to the bookshop and um, I was only home a short time. My father took ill and he died. So when it came to going back to Norway, sort of in January, I couldn't, I just couldn't leave my mother on her own. So that was the end of me in Norway. Although I've been back quite a few times and I still have good friends there. So while I was there, the nearest town was a long way away and there was only one bus a day came that height up the mountains. So um, on a Sunday, I would have pitched a lift into a place called Lillehammer. The Olympics were held there and they had um, Salvation Army. So I would have gone to their Salvation Army church. Um, I didn't really understand much in our region, but it didn't matter. So um, where do we go then? Oh, I was always fond of traveling, as you know. Yeah. I've traveled, I've been in every continent in the world except Antarctica. So I was traveling on that. And um, 
then I decided I would like to go to the Gambia for a holiday. So Sunday morning, I head off to church as usual, and I managed to get involved with the women there yeah. over the couple of weeks. And I met a local family that I got friendly with. Now, they were Muslims. And um, I went backwards and forwards for maybe three, four years. And I agreed to foster their son and bring him back to Belfast for an education. So he wasn't old enough to come. So it was put on hold for a while. Then um, my mother developed Alzheimer's. Now, nothing prepares you for that. But um, she had a great sense of humour. You know, she was a happy Alzheimer's. Um, we carried on as normal. Um, she was at church every Sunday and she would go into daycare while I was at work. And um, she would have gone to the women's department. Oh, I forgot to tell you. My grandmother used to bring me to the women's department in the pram and up and so my involvement with the women's department started when I was maybe a year old. Anyway, um, my mum used to go to the women's department and I became a social member. If they were having a party, they would have said, can you come and look after your mum? Or if they were having an outing, can you come and look after your mother? You know, because she really needed somebody to look after her. So that was okay. I did that. Um, then it was coming up time for Abu to come over. And I was diagnosed with cancer. So it was all an emergency. I saw the doctor on a Friday. The Monday I was in hospital. And the Tuesday I had major surgery. And that was fine. I came out of the surgery and got my earrings in, got my necklace on and got a lipstick on. The surgeon came around and he just let one shout at me. I heard him say to the nurse, is Elizabeth still with us? And I thought, I don't feel as though I'd be well enough to go home. It turned out that he had lost me on the operating table and had to resuscitate me. Um, a couple of hours later, when he saw me, there was I, makeup up and made up. <laughs> so you literally went from flatline on a surgical table to getting ready, putting on your makeup face. Getting the, getting the, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, they didn't think that I believed that I had cancer. And the ward sister every hour waddled up the ward to me and said, you're a very ill girl. Mm -hmm. So they thought I wasn't taking it in, but what did I to worry about? You know, God was on my side. Mm -hmm. And that was that, you know, fear not. How 365 times in the Bible. Mm -hmm. What should I be fearing? And isn't that what Christians, um, it's not Christians' ambition to see God. Mm -hmm. 
So why should I have been afraid? How were you when you got that diagnosis of cancer? Okay. I mean, it was one and three then, so why not me? But, um, you know, I believe that God had it all planned. Um, I had Abu coming. I had my mum with Alzheimer's. I had a management job. You know, I didn't have time to think about me or think about cancer. How old were you when you had cancer? And uh, or the 43. 43. And, and what kind of cancer, breast? Ovarian cancer. Ovarian cancer. Which is, yep. it's the worst cancer you could possibly have. So what would you say to someone, Elizabeth, who is going through cancer right now? What, what would you say to them, listening to their perhaps recovering? I would say don't give up hope. Mm-hmm. The doctors can only do so much. Mm-hmm. You know, God is there. He's in control. Yeah, so, um, that is so true that yes, doctors will do their best and medical standard mm-hmm. treatments, but God is sovereign and God saw you yes. through that time. And mm-hmm. tell us more now after that. You Abby's arrived and he's getting settled for his education. Tell us more as the story goes. Well, I got I was in reprieve. Abu came. Yep. He had never seen he was well, he was a Muslim coming into a Christian home, and I brought him over on the understanding that he would be brought up as a Christian boy, Mm -hmm. right? So um, he'd never seen a mountain. He'd never seen a green field. Mm -hmm. He'd never had running water. Mm -hmm. His English was poor. It was a struggle. But, you know, God is faithful. You know, we managed. We got through. Um. The problem was he was too popular in school. Oh. You know, he was a nice boy and very, very popular, but he wasn't interested in academic work. <laughs> he a bit of a carrier, a bit of a bad boy, pulled your hair out. <laughs> yeah, he was wonderful at home, but in school, um, I mean, the, the teachers all knew me, but they were always coming over to see me. You know, we were next door to the school. And they would come in and say, Abu did such and such today. And, you know, in the Gambia, he was beaten to work. You know, they beat them in the school to get them to work. Well, that's, that wasn't happening in Methody. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it was quite, a, quite an eye-opener. So then when it came to picking subjects for O-level and that, you couldn't have picked anything, you know. <laughs> He couldn't have cared less, but he had learned a lot. And at that stage, I thought, time for him to go home. You know, there's no point in um, wasting money on him when he's not academically interested, even. Mm-hmm. So what did he but, go on to do? Sorry? What did he go on to do? Did he return home and work? He went home. Um, he's in England at present. I mean, he went to eventually went to university in England mm-hmm. and he's doing agriculture Ooh. but you know he's very grateful for the chance that he got That's good. so roll on mum died the following year mm-hmm. and I was on my own mm-hmm. so
So um, you asked me how I felt when I was told I had cancer. Um, well, when I was told, oh, I didn't tell you how I got what happened. I was leaving hospital for the very last time. They could do no more for me. And there was a traffic jam. A friend was coming from the Ulster Museum to the city hospital to bring me home. And she got caught in a traffic jam. During that time, a new doctor arrived on the ward. And he was doing the rounds. He was due to start on the Monday. And he was doing the rounds. And um, he looked at my notes and he said, um, I would be prepared to operate on you. He said, now there's three points. You could go on the table. You could get an extension or you could be cured. Wow. What do you do? I don't know what I would do in that situation. Well, it was out of my hands, you know. I said, right, God, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. So um, I said, right, I've nothing to lose. If I go on the table, okay. If I get an extension, brilliant. And I didn't even think about being cured, to be honest with you. So um, I came out of the operation and I felt wonderful. I felt so good. I didn't believe I'd had an operation. Mm -hmm. um, so I was to be in London in three weeks time. I was speaking at a conference. So when the doctor came right to see me, I was scribbling away. He said, what are you doing, Elizabeth? I said, I'm writing, I'm writing the script for a conference in three weeks' time. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and said, do you think you'll be able for it? I said, of course I will. Three weeks' time, I was on the flight to London. Spoke at the conference. What a God we have. What a God. So um, my thing then was, why did God choose me? And that really bothered me for quite a while. Not why have I cancer? Why have I been cured? So a friend said to me, Elizabeth, God is not finished with you. He has something for you to do. So my prayer was, whatever it is, God, make it simple. I've had a rough time. <laughs> so little did I know what was ahead of me. Little did I know. Anyway, I started, um, I went out on the, my travels again. Excuse me. I'm down on my travels again, and um, I went to all sorts of places, met all sorts of people, acquired lots of more friends, um, started to take um, Bible studies. Instead of attending them, I was taking them, um, taking prayer groups in the house and things like that. And... Um, then I went to Sri Lanka for a holiday mm -hmm. as one. I'd been everywhere else, so I thought, 
right, Sri Lanka. So off I headed to Sri Lanka and had a brilliant time, got involved again with the church there and made lots of friends and came home the week before Christmas, that Christmas the tsunami hit. So I, that upset me terribly. And a friend was bringing a group over to Sri Lanka. So she asked me if I would like to go. Mm -hmm. So I went and um, did a little bit, you know, women's meetings, worked with children and tried to lift them a wee bit. That was okay, come back to work. Then I went, I took I had lots of holidays, I had built up while I was not well now. And I decided I would go to Australia, New Zealand. So while I was there, I thought, why am I working? Why don't I just take early retirement? So like that, I just made my mind up. If I took early retirement, I could spend more time out in Sri Lanka and I could do more work for the Lord. So then someone suggested, why don't you join Bible college? <laughs> That's where you and I met. <laughs> I, but I was there a long time before you. I did the WSF course. That's right. And um, I thought there was a lot of work in that and all you got was a piece of paper to say you'd done it. So then I decided, right, I'll do a degree course. So that was when we met. So it was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lectures and memories, yeah. That. Pastoral care and uh -huh. the biblical story, all those memories come flooding back when I think about those times. It was a, mm -hmm. a shaping year for all of us, you know, and, mm -hmm. and then you were involved, met this woman's Ireland, MWI. Yes, I um I sort of after mum died, I sort of stepped in. I don't know why, you know, it had never been my desire to be involved, but I got involved with it. And then I got involved with the World Federation of Methodist Women, which is Methodist Women Worldwide. So, I mean, I went, well, I've been quite a few places with them. I went to South Africa with them and I went to Texas with them yeah. and been various places in England with them. So um, then at a meeting in Thomas Street Methodist, um, they were looking for a president. So um, I was throwing names into the hat. Um, they said they'd approach that person, but no, they wouldn't take the job on. So I said, uh, oh, well, I'm sure we'll find somebody. And then we stopped for a tea break. And somebody came over and said, Elizabeth, why don't you take it on? I couldn't do that. You know, I mean, I'd been president of the Booksellers Association for 30 years, but that was a different thing to Methodist women. So lo and behold, um, I said, well, she said, go home and think about it. And I said, if I went home and thought about it, I wouldn't do it. So... I said, right, I'll do it. 
So then they were a bit concerned about me doing it because I don't drive. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I've been all around the world. And, you know, I haven't driven. So surely the Lord could see me around Ireland. Mm -hmm. So it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, I got to all sorts of places. In fact, I counted roughly the mileage that I had done in the two years. And it came to 38,000 miles. So I also went to um, Myanmar during that time. And I was able to pick up, I was saying about my father serving there. I sent away for his records. And the lady that I was staying with, well, I wasn't staying with her. You can't stay with people there. You have to stay in a hotel. Um, I showed her my dad's records and she was able to point out when we were traveling around the country, um, you know, where my dad had been stationed and that. It was very interesting. It is interesting because for me, um, from the photographs upstairs, my own Granda Crossing was stationed in what we call Myanmar, Burma during the mm -hmm. war. So that's one place that I want to go. That's one of my bucket list places to travel. If uh -huh. Well, not at the minute. So. I'm in, daily, I'm in daily contact with the ladies in Myanmar. So, um, so between Myanmar and Sri Lanka, I'm sort of kept busy. Yeah, you, when you but, retired, you literally become retired now because you're, you're moved from one aspect of working in the marketplace secular into the ministry. Absolutely. Between Myanmar and Sri Lanka. You've got a heart for that region, a heart mm -hmm. for mission. Yeah. What does the future look like for you now, even though we went through the pandemic and we're still going through? What does it look for you when it comes well, to the mission of God? The pandemic was my third time to be isolated mm -hmm. because I was isolated up in Norway in that, you know, I couldn't go anywhere. And then for three weeks when I had cancer, I was isolated in Beaver. So... You know, the pandemic was just another isolation for me. Um, I coped very well with it. In fact, I learned a few new crafts. I'm very interested in crafts. So I've learned a few crafts. And um, in fact, I've joined a new group called Patched, Pieced Together. Um, it's sort of an uplifting course. You do a craft. And there's a theme each week. Mm -hmm. The first week was brokenness. Mm -hmm. And you talk about brokenness and, you know, how you can be healed from brokenness. And the whole thing is after the 10 weeks are up, you take it out to somewhere like Hyde Bank or, you know, somewhere where the homeless are to give them hope. Mm. So, um. So the sooner I get back to Sri Lanka, the better. Yeah. And they're missing me terribly there. And I know you're missing Sri Lanka terribly. I know, I know. <laughs> many mutual friends who went to Sri Lanka and, and missionaries such as Marvin Kilpatrick and others. And, mm -hmm. and um, I take it if you were offered a plane ticket tomorrow, you'd be off there like a shot? I don't think so because... Um, 
they're not through the, the academic, the, the okay. pandemic, you know, things are pretty bad. Circumstances, I mean. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been going twice most years since then. Um, I work in a school um, for special needs children during the day. And um, every weekend I'm in a different church helping, you know, to take the service. And I work with the women's department there quite a bit. So um, it's all... I mean, the stories that I could tell, the way I've seen the Lord working there. Well, as we're coming close to the end of this podcast, share us one of your favourite stories and then we'll pray together. How's that sound? Yeah. Well, what would you like? You pick. Surprise me. Surprise us. <laughs> well, you know it's a persecuted area. Yeah. Right. Um well, I'll tell you a story. There was a very, very bad time up in the north. I think um, something like 3,000 people were killed one night. And we were asked to go up as a team to do a mission there. It was quite a long drive. We started early morning and it was 10 o'clock at night when we were, came to the army patrol. And we were, I was taken out of the van and had to show my passport and cross-questioned at gunpoint. And um, I, uh, on the way back, they said, we will, we will be watching you the whole time you are there. Mm -hmm. And they said, um, why are you going there? There's nothing there. The whole area has been bombed. And... I said, um, because I was, I was told to go there. And they said, who told you to go there? And I said, my God did. Now, the others all ran. And I said, I'm not going to run through landmines. I will walk. So I walked through the landmines with a soldier at each side, gunpoint, got into the van. We had booked a hotel, the only place that was still standing. And the reason it was standing was because it was next to a big temple. Mm -hmm. And when we arrived at the hotel, we needed six rooms. How many rooms were there? Two. Six. Oh, wow. So we were told that we couldn't have meat in the hotel that it was against their beliefs. We said, fine, no problem. And the next morning we went to take the conference. There were nine people, nine women turned up and they said that there would be more. Those women had never left their homes from the night that everything was blown up. Their homes and all were destroyed and they um, were living under tarpaulin. So we said, right, can we have a walk around and see the damage that's done? And can we hear your stories? Well, those nine women, the stories they told were horrendous. One woman hid her young sister in the church 
in the toilets in the church. The church was blown up, the child was destroyed. Another lady had her Bible and there were two bullet holes in her Bible where she had been shot at crossing the river. She was still alive. Well, the week went on and by the end of the week, we had 65 women. Nobody had, sorry, yeah, 65, yeah. By the end of the week, we had realised that nobody had been to see them in those two years. Nobody from government. There was one Methodist minister on a bicycle, and that was all they had. Um, by the end of the week, there was all of them but one gave their life to Christ. So there you go. That's incredible. Out of, out of the darkness, hope arises. Out of the ashes, God is present. That's right. Um, and God still moves. You know, and I'm drawn to the life of Job and after what Job went through, God was with him. And God was with you. And to those listening, you can see that God has been with Elizabeth's wife from the day she was born up to now, and still is. And God can be with you. I'm going to pray. I want to thank Elizabeth for coming along. I'm just going to pray and thank you, Elizabeth, for sharing your story. And I can see why the British Library wanted you to record your story. It was fantastic. I'm, I'm sad that we didn't have longer, but let's just pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, on life's journey, from earth to glory, may we always look to you. May we look to you who sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one we love, the one who forgave us of our sins, who made us yours, Lord, because we are yours and you are, you are mine. As you said to Elizabeth when she was a little girl, we belong to you. We are children of God. And for those who are listening to this, when this episode releases, they belong to you. And I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you or is away from you, that they would just come to you. That they would just say a simple prayer. Lord, come into my life. Lord, save me. And follow you because you have a plan and purpose for their life. Thank you for the life of Elizabeth, Lord, and what you've done in her life what you've brought her through and what you still got planned for her. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless her abundantly and use her still for the work of your kingdom and the expansion of your kingdom. Give her her heart's desires. For I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank, Thank you for the opportunity to record it. Thank you for coming along. And until next time, uh, take care, stay safe, and feel free to get in touch with us. Um, God bless. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you.